The following message was recorded at Shades Valley Community Church in Homewood, Alabama. For more information and resources from Shades Valley, please visit us at shadesvalley.org. Good morning, Shades. Let's begin our time with a word of prayer. Gracious Heavenly Father, we do thank you that you have called us here this morning and that the very fact that we are in this room is a sign of your goodness and love towards us. Father, we thank you for the mercy and the grace that we have been given in Jesus Christ. And we thank you that we have a deep and meaningful communion with him. Not because of our performance this week, but because of your gracious posture towards us. And so, Father, our desire this morning is that we would hear from you, that we would hear your word. And so I ask that you would guide my thoughts and my words, and that if there is anything that I say that is untrue of you, that it would be forgotten. Um, But what is true, Father, I pray that you would plant deeply in our hearts, that you would stir our affections for Jesus. We pray all of this in his name. Amen. Amen. Um, I grew up in uh, Peachtree City, Georgia. It's just south of Atlanta uh, in the Burbs, uh, known as the golf cart capital of the world. Everybody there owns a golf cart. There's like 150 miles of golf cart paths. It's basically the perfect retirement community. and there in Peachtree City, there's a local pizza joint called Partners Pizza. And it was the go-to restaurants for, or the restaurant for church groups and uh, sports teams. And I ate there a lot. Uh, I ate a lot of pizza in my teenage years. And uh, all over the walls of, of, of Partners Pizza uh, were these folk American proverbs. Um, I'll give you a taste of some of them. Uh, Some of them were about marriage. Marriage is like a walk in the park. Jurassic Park. (laughs) That's so bad. It's just, it's terrible. There were proverbs about money. Whoever said money can't buy happiness didn't know where to shop. There were proverbs about parenting. Give a child a fish and you feed them for a day. Teach a child to use the internet, and they won't bother you for weeks. And as I was eating pizza and washing it down with Mountain Dew, I I would read these proverbs and laugh and think to myself, well, I can see how that's kind of true, but then naturally I would just move on without further reflection. Why would I reflect on these proverbs? They're just silly sayings. Well, as many of you know, our lead pastor, Jonathan, just started a three-month sabbatical. So the, the pastors and the elders have come together and we've prayed and we've decided that for the next three months we won't be gathering on Sunday mornings. So you guys can 
head out. Let's stand for the benediction. And No. We have gathered together and prayed, and we feel like the Lord is, has led us to spend the next three months in the book of Proverbs. In the book of Proverbs. And so I, I want to start this series uh, through the book of Proverbs uh, with two observations. With two observations. Uh, the first is that my fear is that much of our interaction with the Proverbs um, is like my interaction with the American Proverbs on the walls of Partners Pizza. Uh, we may occasionally look at them, smirk, and say, eh, that's kind of true, but ultimately they're not taken very seriously. Uh, they're not something that we reflect deeply on. Uh, they're not something that has a real weight in our life. Which leads me to my second observation, and that is that nonetheless, in our day-to-day lives, you and I are in desperate need of wisdom. We're in desperate need of wisdom. We need wisdom in relationships. We need wisdom in singleness. We need wisdom in marriage, in parenting, in, in dealing with family dynamics in general. We need wisdom in finances and planning for the future. We need wisdom in our work and dealing with difficult coworkers. We need wisdom in our speech. Man, do we need wisdom in our speech. We need wisdom in our listening and in controlling the many emotions that we have. Um, As I pray for others throughout the week, maybe this is true of you, as I pray for others throughout the week, again and again, I find myself saying in almost every prayer, what? Lord, give them wisdom. Give them wisdom. We are in desperate need of wisdom. And it is precisely that wisdom that the book of Proverbs offers. Wisdom for everyday life. Wisdom to walk faithfully as disciples of Jesus Christ in all of life's complexities. But, in my mind, if we are to rightly hear the Proverbs, and if we are to rightly see the Proverbs and see them as valuable, something that's good, something that's a gift to us, then we must know something about the nature of the book. We must know something about the nature of the book of Proverbs. And we must know something about the nature of biblical wisdom. And so it's those two things. The nature of the book of Proverbs, what's going on there, and biblical wisdom, and what's going on there, that I want to spend the time talking about today. So... If you have your Bibles, you can join me by reading Proverbs 1, verse 1. Proverbs 1, verse 1. The Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel. Let's stop there. Now, the the first verse is the superscription of the book, 
what's a superscription? Well, uh, superscriptions are like the hardcover jackets of modern books. It tells the reader, us, it gives us information, like who the author is, uh, what type of book this is. And from the beginning, we see that the head of the entire book of Proverbs is Solomon. Solomon, uh, Israel's king. Uh, he was renowned for his wisdom given to him by the Lord. In 1 Kings, we see that people, powerful people, the, the Queen of Sheba, uh, came from all over to sit at his feet and to hear the wisdom that he had to offer. We see there in 1 Kings that he even composed many proverbs, many wise sayings and songs. Um, now, this can't mean uh, that Solomon composed every single proverb. Um, first of all, the book itself reveals that there are at least four other authors in its composition. Um, and also, um, it's likely that the book of Proverbs, um, like the book of Psalms, uh, was brought together over a long period of time before coming to a close. But, nonetheless, Solomon, uh, David's son, Israel's wise king, is cast here as the hub of its creation and the hub of the collection of the Proverbs. And here for you and me, at the beginning of this book, it's a signal that this is not partner's pizza wisdom. Right? Um, this is Yahweh's wisdom given to his covenant people. That is the nature of, of this wisdom. Right? Um, but secondly, we see something else about the nature of the book. We see something about its genre. Um, it's likely that the book of Proverbs uh, got its title from this verse. Uh, the title of the book, like Chronicles, Psalms, Song of Songs, Acts, connects the book to the major genre that's in it. The proverb. The proverb. Um, now, this actually might come as a surprise to some of us, uh, but this is not the only genre in the book. Um, chapters 10 through 31 in the book of Proverbs are made up of what we know as Proverbs, these short, pithy sayings. But chapters 1 through 9 uh, mostly aren't that. Uh, chapters 1 through 9 are these discourses. Um, and there's two major types of discourses. Uh, the first is uh, a father talking to his son, um, uh, urging his son to listen to wisdom, to listen and follow. Um, and the second is of this figure in the book of Proverbs, uh, this figure named Woman Wisdom. And uh, this figure of Woman Wisdom is a, is a uh, personification of wisdom. And uh, in Proverbs, she calls uh, out uh, to young, immature, naive people that are, are passing her by, and she urges them, she calls to them and says, Listen to me. Hear my voice. And don't follow the voice of wisdom folly. Right. Um, and while most people don't think about these discourses, when they think about the book of Proverbs, they're actually very important to our understanding of the book. Uh, they lay a foundation for us to be able to understand the short, pithy Proverbs that come mostly in the second half of the book. Do you see? 
But what about those short, pithy sayings? What about the Proverbs? Um, well, it turns out that uh, defining the proverb is a little more elusive than we might originally think. Uh, Tremper Longman, in his Proverbs commentary, defines the proverb as a short, pithy observation, admonition, warning, or prohibition. Uh, but the Jewish literary scholar Robert Alter defines it as poetry of wit. Uh, the theologian Gerhard von Rad defines it as a sentence filled to the brim with ideas. Um, the most extensive definition I've seen in all my study is by Archer Taylor, who says a proverb is wise. It belongs to many people. It's ingenious in form and idea, and it was first invented by an individual and applied to a particular situation. Uh, Another commentator, Ryan O'Dowd, in his commentary, decides to call in the special teams and punt. And he doesn't give a de definition. He says, definitions are helpful guides, but inevitably fall short. We simply have to resolve that we know a proverb when we hear one. Live and learn. Enough is enough. Money talks. Life is like a box of chocolates. That's not in the book of Proverbs. Um, Ask not what your country can do for you. Ask what you can do for your country. Um, so why go through all those definitions? Well, I believe that each of these definitions reveals something about the beauty of the proverb. Something that we tend to not take very seriously. Something that we tend to not give much weight. Um, and I believe that all these definitions, or even the refusal to define, gets us at some aspect of the proverb. Um, but if we are to be a people that read and meditate on the proverbs, then we must go beyond a definition. Right? We must look more deeply into its nature, into what its intentions are, and how we are to read and interpret it. How are we to read and interpret it? Um, so here, I just want to make a few points that I think are extremely important if we as a community are going to rightly read the Proverbs. And not only rightly read the Proverbs, but come to love the Proverbs and, and appreciate them and hear their voice. All right? So my, my first point is that both the discourses in chapters 1 through 9 and what we could call the Proverbs proper, these short pithy sayings in 10 through 31, um, they are both poetry. Poetry. Um, so if we're going to read the Proverbs well, then we must know a little something about how to read poetry. Now, with that statement, I am well outside of my field of expertise. <laughs> so, for all of you that love poetry in the room, please do not cringe at what I'm about to do. Um, but I think it's pretty obvious to most of us uh, that we could see that poetry, poetry is compressed language. Um, it, 
it says a lot with just a few words. Um, poetry is known for its terseness, um, its economic use of words. So, for example, Proverbs 10.4. Uh, a slack hand makes poverty. A determined hand makes rich. Now think about this proverb with me. Um, this proverb, it doesn't defend its argument. It doesn't seek to nuance it in any way. It doesn't tell us the assumptions behind it. It doesn't give us any context. All of that is left to us. It, it invites us in to think and to ponder. But what the proverb la lacks in nuance and detail, it makes up for in vividness, in, in appealing to our whole selves, in appealing to uh, our emotions and imaginations and intellect. Uh, poetry is known for its imagery. Uh, poetry is rich in imagery. Um, Proverbs 16.24, pleasant words are like liquid honey, sweet to the taste and healing to the bones, like liquid honey. And so the real force of the proverb, the real force of the imagery happens when we begin to think about how pleasant words are like liquid honey. When we reflect on that deeply, which brings me to my last point about poetry, which is poetry is meant to be read reflectively, not quickly. It's meant to be read reflectively, not quickly. So we must come to the text of the Proverbs, to this book, with the proper expectations of what we're reading. All right? And what we're reading is poetry. It's poetry. All right, second point. And this is crucial to proper interpretation of the Proverbs. Um, for the most part, it's 98, 99% of the time, uh, Proverbs are not universally true. What do I mean by that? All right. Are you saying you don't believe in universal truth? No, that's not what I'm saying. All right. What I'm saying is that they are not always true. Right? Um, Proverbs are true only if they're stated at the right time and in the right circumstance. Proverbs are true only if they are stated in the right time and in the right circumstance. This is crucial for rightly reading the Proverbs. So uh, the book itself talks about this. It talks about the circumstantial nature of the Proverbs. So 1523, it is a joy to a person to give an answer. How good a word at the right time. How good a word at the right time. Um, a great example of this is Proverbs 26, verses 4 and 5. Uh, the first verse says, Answer fools according to their stupidity, otherwise they will become wise in their own eyes. Do you know what the next verse says? Um, the, the, answer, the next verse says, uh, Don't answer fools according to their stupidity, otherwise you will become like them yourself. Well, which is it, Proverbs? Which one do we choose? The answer 
is that we must not only read the proverb, we must read the situation and the person to know which proverb is true for the circumstance. You see? We need to be readers not only of the proverb, but also of people and of circumstances to know which proverb applies and is true. True for the situation. For the situation. Uh, The book actually reveals that to just throw the proverbs around is dangerous. Uh, Proverbs 26.9, a thorn bush in the hand of a drunk, a proverb in the mouth of fools. Now that's some vivid imagery, right? Proverbs are not always true. They are only true stated at the right time and in the right circumstance. All right, next, and this is closely tied to, my, to the point that I just made, and it's that uh, proverbs are not promises. Ed talked about this a few weeks ago in his sermon on the Proverbs. And I think it's worth repeating because it's very important. Um, A common misconception about Proverbs has to do with its connection between right behavior, wise behavior, and reward, and foolish behavior and punishment. So let's give an example of this. Back to Proverbs 10.4. A slack hand makes poverty, a determined hand makes rich. Um, there are people in our culture who will not be named that are famous for being extremely wealthy and extremely lazy, right? It's those people that you're like, how are they famous again, right? Um, Does that make this proverb untrue? No. Why? Because the proverb is not making a promise, It's giving incentive for right behavior. It's directing us towards behavior that will most likely bring beneficial results, right? It's assuming that all things are equal, meaning that the slack hand in that proverb did not inherit millions of dollars from their parents, right? Um, This is so important. I, I, I can't tell you how many prosperity preachers or even well-intending Christians have totally abused the Proverbs and caused harm to others because they did not grasp the reality that Proverbs are not promises. You see? Proverbs are not promises. All right. And this leads me to my last point about reading the Proverbs properly. Um, And that is, if we are to read the Proverbs rightly, um, then we must read the Proverbs in conversation with the entire Bible, yes, but especially the books of Job and Ecclesiastes. Especially the books of Job and Ecclesiastes. Um, Chris Harper and I were recently talking about this. Um, there's an organization called The Bible Project. Some of you may be familiar with them. Um, I, th- I think it's a great resource. They make animated videos that go through the whole of Scripture, or they make videos that talk about various themes in uh, Scripture. Uh, parents, it's a, it's a great tool as you teach your kids the Bible. It's a great tool for yourself <laughs> as well. 
Um, but Chris Harbour and I were talking about this because uh, they have a video series on what's come to be known as wisdom literature in the Old Testament. Uh, the book of Proverbs, the book of Ecclesiastes, and the book of Job. And in the video series, I think they do something really interesting. Uh, they personify each book by making it a person. Uh, so Proverbs is this um, young woman who is a brilliant professor. Uh, and uh, Ecclesiastes is this uh, old or this middle-aged man that's uh, wise but cynical and has a response to anything that you throw out. Um, and then uh, Job is uh, an, an old man that's been through a lot, right? And what the video series does is it brings these three figures into conversation with one another. And I bring this point up because I think it helps us see that we must read these books together if we are going to have a proper understanding of biblical wisdom. They all need to be brought to the table. They all need to contribute to the conversation. You see? Um, and Proverbs, the book of Proverbs, makes a very important contribution to the conversation about wisdom. Uh, it makes the argument about the connection between behaviors and their outcomes. Um, generally speaking, the book teaches that wise action results in good outcomes, and foolish behavior results in negative outcomes. Um, so if one were just to read Proverbs, if that were the only voice that they were going to listen to and not allow the other voices to come into the conversation then I think it's very likely that um, that person is going to misinterpret or overinterpret the Proverbs. And what are they going to begin to do? They're going to begin to presume on the results. You see what I'm saying? They're going to begin to presume on the results of the behavior. They're, they're going to end up walking away with this mentality that... Uh, Good things happen to good people, and bad things happen to bad people. But as we know, that's not the only voice in the conversation. This overreading, I think, of Proverbs, that is a reality today. Um, this overreading of Proverbs is impossible when you bring it into conversation with Ecclesiastes and Job. It, it's impossible. Why? Well, what's going on in Ecclesiastes? Well, in Ecclesiastes, uh, there's a teacher that reveals that under the sun, life is difficult and meaningless because everyone, good and bad, dies. It's a real crowd pleaser. Um, the teacher in Ecclesiastes, in Ecclesiastes uh, ultimately does not see or experience in his life the connection of good deeds and good consequence. Life has shown him otherwise. He sees the suffering of the godly and the reality that justice doesn't always come. Don't we know that to be all too true? Justice does not always come. Now, what's interesting is that the book of Ecclesiastes doesn't seek uh, to solve this issue but it urges us to stay in this relationship of fear of the Lord 
and to go beyond the sun and expect that one day God will make all things right and that justice is coming. It's an important piece of the conversation. But there's another conversation partner, Job, the book of Job. What's going on there? Well, we all know that the book of Job makes it clear that Job's a godly man. His suffering is not coming to him because he's foolish. His suffering is not coming to him because of his sin. Because he's done anything wrong. Um, The book of Job does away with this idea that godliness always leads to tangible blessing and wickedness to suffering. And like Ecclesiastes, the book of Job doesn't offer a solution to suffering, but rather recognizes that rewards may not come in this life. But ultimately, one must submit themselves to the greatness, to the wisdom, and to the incomprehensibility of God. Um, It's only by allowing these three books to be in conversation with one another that we can begin to read Proverbs rightly. It's very important. The book of Proverbs, it's poetry. Proverbs are only true when applied to the right circumstance. Proverbs are not promises. And the Proverbs must be read in conversation with this other wisdom literature. With this other wisdom literature. But the introduction in the book of Proverbs, it doesn't just introduce us to the head of the book. It doesn't just introduce us to the genre of the Proverbs. It also says what it offers. It says what it offers. And that's something that I've already talked about. Wisdom. Wisdom. It offers wisdom. Look at verse 2 and 3 with me. Verses 2 and 3. To know wisdom and instruction, to understand the words of insight, to receive instruction in wise dealing, in righteousness, justice, and equity. Um, Now, the Hebrew word translated wisdom here is uh, the word chokmah. Chokmah. And chokmah is the word that's used most often in Proverbs to describe the the hoped-for outcome of reading the book. That is the hoped-for outcome of reading Proverbs. Chokmah. Um, We've talked about the importance of understanding the nature of the book of Proverbs. Uh, But we also need to talk about the nature of chokmah. Uh, the nature of wisdom, uh, what the book's offering to us. Uh, what is chokmah, what is wisdom according to the book of Proverbs? Um, well, to do that, uh, we must go outside the text today and look at the book as a whole. Um, and so with the time that I have left, very briefly... I just want to hit on what I see to be the three aspects or the three uh, levels of biblical wisdom, of wisdom in the Proverbs. Um, That is the practical, 
the ethical, and the theological. The practical, ethical, and the theological. First, the practical. All right, the practical. Um, now, some teach and see the book of Proverbs as simply a set of skills or a self-help book. I'm sure you've probably heard such teaching. Um, Well, the book of Proverbs is certainly not a self-help book. And to reduce it to a set of skills for anyone to use is to ignore much of the book and to ignore its placement in the Old Testament. Uh, But... Uh, nonetheless, this book does give detailed instructions about how to maintain strong relationships, how to deal with difficult people, how to work for success and maintain a stable income. Uh, You would have to turn a blind eye to the content of this book or do some interpretive gymnastics uh, to say that it isn't teaching a type of practical wisdom uh, that teaches a person to live life well. It's clear in the book. Um, and Trimper Longman, in his commentary on, uh, or excuse me, in his book on uh, biblical wisdom in the Old Testament, makes a really interesting observation about this practical wisdom. Um, he says that uh, some would call this practical wisdom that the book of Proverbs teaches emotional intelligence. Something called emotional intelligence. Now, I find this fascinating. Um, He goes on to talk about it. He says, emotional intelligence is similar to what used to be called social skills or street smarts. Um, Emotional intelligence is different from what we often mean when we say a person is intelligent. It's different than what we often mean when we say a person is intelligent. Uh, The latter, saying a person is intelligent, concerns a knowledge of facts, knowing that where wisdom entails living life skillfully, knowing how. Do you see that distinction between knowing that and knowing how? He goes on, raw intelligence, it can be measured with an IQ test, right? Um, But this is different than a person's EQ, if you will, emotional intelligence. Well, how is EQ or emotional intelligence Measured. Um, Emotionally intelligent people know how to say the right thing at the right time. Uh, They do the right thing at the right time. They express emotions that are appropriate for the situation at the right intensity. Now, this is interesting to me. Um, A research done at Harvard University uh, has discovered that there is a high correlation between success in life, one's satisfaction in life, and high emotional intelligence. But there is not the same correlation between a high IQ and flourishing in life, or one's satisfaction in life. A high correlation between emotional intelligence and success in life with a low connection between high IQ in human flourishing. It's not to say that a person couldn't have a high IQ or EQ, but I think you get the point that I'm making, right? Well, Proverbs is a book that offers to make us the discerning reader that will listen emotionally 
intelligent, if you will. It offers that type of wisdom that is shown to lead to human flourishing. But that's not the only type of wisdom that it offers, which takes us to the second aspect, which is the ethical dimension of wisdom, uh, the ethical level, uh, the wise person as a good person. Yes, Proverbs offers guidance on how to live life well, um, but that's not all the Proverbs offer. Uh, Proverbs also wants to make Shades Valley Community Church a place of righteousness, a place of justice, a place of virtue. Uh, when, When Paul wrote, knowledge puffs up but love builds up, he reveals the tendency of his day to divorce learning and knowledge from ethical accountability and social responsibility. I think we would agree that not much has changed. History is a pretty good teacher, and it reveals to us that great learning, uh, great education, and evil, corruption, violence, can often coexist alongside each other. Um, Paul and Proverbs will not let this deep learning be divorced from a life lived rightly from a life lived rightly. Which takes us finally to the last aspect of wisdom, the last level, if you will, and that's the theological level. The theological level. The wise person fears the Lord. Um, Verse 7 reveals uh, the theological character of the book, Um, the God-centeredness of the book. Uh, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise knowledge and wisdom and instruction. Knowledge, wisdom, and instruction. Uh, Now, the title for our series this summer is one that might surprise some of us. Proverbs, the fear of the Lord. Proverbs, the fear of the Lord. Why that title? Why not Proverbs, Lessons for Life? Well, because we want to emphasize that the book of Proverbs reveals that the fear of the Lord is the foundation of wisdom. One cannot have full hokmah without a fear of God. Now, if you're like me, you might be thinking, why fear? I imagine if many of us were asked, we would say, What is the beginning of wisdom? The love of God. Right? That's the beginning of wisdom. And while that's true, why does the Proverbs say fear? Well, first I think it's important to explore what is meant by fear. Um, The Hebrew word has a broad range of meaning. Uh, It can mean anything from anxiety... Uh, to horror. (laughs) Um, But there doesn't seem to be an exact English parallel to what's meant here, which is interesting. Um, But it certainly doesn't mean the type of fear that causes one to run away. It doesn't have that sense to it. It, it, It's not the fear of an abusive parent. See what I'm getting at? Um, It's not the fear of um, punishment or 
eternal judgment, right? The, the scriptures teach that perfect love casts out that fear, right? So we know it doesn't mean that. But at the same time, if I were just to say it means respect or reverence, that doesn't really get at the force of the word. It doesn't really get at the force of the word. Awe is kind of gets closer. Awe, um, wonder, uh, trembling, right? Um, it seems here that the fear of the Lord is this sense of standing before the creator of the universe. The one who holds everything together. The one in whom your entire existence is dependent upon. The one in whom before any power or position or wealth or status you have is not powerful enough to overcome what you're standing before. It's this sense and awe of standing before something so much greater than you. Right? It's the awe that happens when you stand before the Grand Canyon. Right? Um, and this is the relationship that the Proverbs says we must have. This is the beginning of wisdom. Right? Um, why? Because such a posture before God brings great humility. Great humility. And a willingness to submit to him and his ways because you see who he is and you see who you are. It's not a fear that causes you to run. It's a fear that causes you to sit and obey. It's a fear that leads to obedience. Um, I'm convinced more and more that I have such a small view of God. I have such a small view of God. And such a small view leads me to do what? Think that I know better. Think that I know better than he does. Um, I would do well to listen to the word that God gave to Job. Where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? Tell me, Brad, if you have understanding. That is where wisdom starts in that statement and that understanding in the book of Proverbs. This series in the Proverbs is an invitation to sit at the feet of the triune God who has revealed himself in the person of Jesus Christ, the ultimate wisdom teacher, and to hear wisdom and knowledge from him and how to live in the complexity of day-to-day -day life so that we may have this type of practical, ethical, and theological wisdom for life. My prayer is that in the next three months, the Lord would give us wisdom, that he would give us ears to hear this word, that we would come to love the Proverbs, and that we would, be, we would meditate on them deeply for our lives. Amen.